Moving to Live is a podcast about movement and exercise. We bring you interviews with professionals in the movement and exercise field. The goal is to provide information for other professionals and also amateur movement aficionados, people who understand that movement is part of what makes life complete. Some of the people we interview you will have heard of. They're well known in and outside of the movement and exercise profession. Others you may not have heard of, but they have a great deal of knowledge to share. Many people doing the best work spend their time working with people, not working on their social media presence. We're going to give you a chance to learn from some of these talented and knowledgeable individuals, and we're going to learn along with you. Moving to Live podcasts are going to be short. Each interview will be long enough to impart usable information, but short enough to be able to be consumed in a single bout, during your workout, commute, or even during dinner prep. We all like long-form interviews, but time is valuable. Moving to Live wants to give you the option to learn and be entertained without needing to commit 60 minutes at a time for an interview. Give Moving to Live a listen. Check out our sister podcast, FitLab PGH, which highlights people, businesses, events, and activities in the Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania area that make movement a priority. Moving to Live would love to hear from you. Want to connect with us or have an idea for somebody you think we ought to interview? Drop us an email, mov2liv at gmail.com, or connect with us on Instagram and Twitter, both underscore mov2liv. We're excited to bring you these interviews, and we think you'll enjoy each and every one that we bring you. Welcome to another edition of Moving to Live. We are a podcast for movement and exercise professionals and amateur aficionados. Because movement is part of what makes your life complete, we try to break down the knowledge silos. We interview people from a variety of professions who understand that movement is part of what makes their life complete. And above all else, they want to help make people move better. We're back this week with part two of our interview with Dr. Maury Kolber. Maury is a physical therapist. He teaches in the physical therapy program at Nova Southeastern in South Florida. He is also a clinician, and we're going to learn a little bit more about physical therapy. We're going to learn about his specialty of low back injuries and what you might want to look for or consider if you have an injury and you need to go see a physical therapist or somebody recommends that you see somebody. So, Maury, thank you for talking to Moving to Live for a second time. Thank you, Ben. I know I asked you the first interview, how do you define what you are and you gave kind of the, my short brief answer is I'm a physical therapist. And I know a lot of times in the medical profession, there are terms that are thrown around. I had the opportunity to interview a couple of osteopathic physicians and they talked about the difference between an MD and a DO, both of which are medical professions or medical physicians. Question I'd like to ask you is, first of all, what's a physical therapist? A physical therapist is a movement specialist. So we don't diagnose disease or pathology. We, we diagnose movement disorders and we treat movement disorders. And our vision is to help people move better. Now, am I incorrect then? Are there not some physical therapists who are pulmonary specialists or breathing specialists? How does that play into the movement aspect? That's a good question. And I think that there is a drive towards a collaboration within the different systems and even going for a walk right now requires the cardiopulmonary system, integumentary system, musculoskeletal system, neuromuscular system. And those are gaps that are currently being bridged with curriculum now in terms of how we integrate these systems together. And I know some people 
loves social media and you can pull up uh, YouTube videos and Facebook groups. And even though we're in the US, we're in Indianapolis right now talking, some people hear the term physiotherapist. What is the difference between a physiotherapist and a physical therapist? The difference is based on geographics. So in uh, Europe, I believe the term is physiotherapist. In the United States, we use the term physical therapist. Uh, but those terms, I believe, it's my understanding that they can be used interchangeably. So the education may be a little bit different depending on the country. But if you hear about somebody from, say, the UK is a physiotherapist, you can be probably pretty certain that they're doing something and had an education similar to a physical therapist in the U.S. Yes, that's my understanding. And you'll hear that they're a physio. That's the, the shorthand for that. And I've actually even heard a few U.S. Uh, physical therapists when they talk, they talk about uh, working with physios. So I think maybe that phys physiotherapist is kind of transitioning, not necessarily professionally, but just kind of talking to colleagues. Yes, I think they've probably taken some courses perhaps that were taught or there were people from the UK or and they've heard the term and they, they've liked it and they chose to join in on that nomenclature. Kind of to talk a little bit more about what a physical therapist is. You said they're a movement specialist or they evaluate movement and somebody could come back and say, well, I know there's the guy down at my local gym who does movement evaluation for my child who's a tennis player or they do movement work with my child off season for football. How does a physical therapist differ with that versus somebody who may be a physical therapist, may not be a physical therapist, but they're in a gym setting or a fitness setting and they say, I'm a movement specialist. Right. I think the big difference is that physical therapists are trained in both abnormal and normal movement analysis. And we're trained in having the ability to integrate those systems together. Meaning if somebody's moving poorly, I'm able to view that not just from a musculoskeletal perspective, but from a neurological perspective. And it's really about being able to look collectively at what contributes to normal and abnormal movement. And then lastly, what to do about it. What do you feel personally about, uh, the, is there a difficulty with people who are not physical therapists trying to get into diagnose or evaluate abnormal movement? I know that's kind of a hot button question, right. both from the physical therapy side and also from the exercise science movement, uh, movement specialist biomechanics. I think the question comes down to sort of that, that paradigm, is it a patient or is it a client? Is someone seeking your services because they have a, an injury? or problem or are they seeking your services from a from a wellness perspective and whatnot i think with any profession whether it be strength and conditioning specialist physical therapist chiropractor knowing your scope and knowing when something is outside your scope is is just a professional responsibility um I think that we have a, lo a lot that we can learn from each other in terms of the different professions, but scope of practice is important, not just from a the perspective of the individual who perhaps may be injured, but from a legality perspective. And I think both of us were fortunate enough this afternoon to hear a talk where the person emphasized a number of times, I don't deal with acute injury, that's beyond my scope of practice, and she was not a physical therapist. Right. She was very professional in handling questions that were asked of her in terms of direct patient um, issues, and she deferred those. So we've talked about this before in the past. Are you a doctor? Well, perhaps in the classroom. You, you do have a PhD. You have a terminal degree. 
I think that term doctor, you know, outside the classroom can can be a, middle, a little bit misleading to the public. And I, I know what Maury's referring to is there is now the entry-level degree, as we talked about in the previous uh, episode with Maury two weeks ago, the entry-level degree for physical therapist is a doctor of physical therapy, a DPT. And I know if you look at social media, and Maury and I have talked about this before, so I'm not putting him on the hot seat. Actually, I am putting him on the hot seat, but he said, please put me on the hot seat because I think it's a good topic to talk about. There are a lot of physical therapists out there, some of them very, very experienced, some of them new grads who refer to themselves as doctor. And I know, Maury, this is kind of your opportunity as an educator, somebody who is a clinician and teaches aspiring physical therapists. This is your opportunity to explain why this might be a concern. I guess my question is a doctor of what? When I see the name of somebody that uses DR before their name, but there's no initials after, it leaves me to wonder what they are a doctor of. And more importantly, it leaves the public to wonder. You know, no different than when you're driving through a shopping center and you see on the window, Dr. XYZ, but there's no initials. To me, I believe there's a... And, perf- and by initials, yeah. you mean after the name. So, so Dr. Maury Colbert, comma, PhD. Correct. You know, or even physicians, MD, you will rarely see the DR before their name. You will see an MD after their name because they are displaying what their credential is. And if I have time to tell you a quick story that really affected me as a professional. Please do. Um, Probably about six to seven years ago, I happened to be in a clinic. Uh, Not a clinic that I was working at. I happened to be in a clinic. And it was a multidisciplinary clinic, and there was a gentleman there treating an elderly lady. By multidisciplinary, you mean there were physical therapists, occupational therapists, medical doctors? Audiologists, speech-language pathologists. So multidisciplinary, excuse me, multidisciplinary meaning multiple medical professionals. Multiple medical professions, and I was there because it was a clinic within an academic setting, and there was an elderly lady who was being treated by a gentleman who referred to himself as doctor, and I don't remember doctor what, but he was doctor. And the patient asked him, what are you a doctor of? And he said, oh, of the ears. She was, oh, you're an ear doctor. And he said, yes. And they went on to treat. It was nothing, but something piqued some interest in me, and I, I looked him up. And he was an audiologist. But to me, I wondered if, why didn't he just say he was an audiologist? Why was he a doctor? To me, there was some withholding there, and and it affected me. And this is something within the profession that's been spoken about in the state of Florida. Our, Our Practice Act tells us how we are to represent ourselves, and we are to put our credentials after our names and not withhold the credentials and solely have doctor before our names. And I'm curious, this is kind of aging both you and I who remember when we first got our email addresses and remember when we got high-speed internet. Is that in the way the Florida Practice Act is? Is that just professionally? Because there's now a blurred area with social media, with YouTube, with Facebook, with Instagram, where there are a lot of physical therapists, other medical professionals who are not MDs or DOs, who just call themselves doctor on the social media without the two or three initials afterwards. So you can say, oh, Dr. Kolber, comma, physical therapist, comma, PhD. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, he has a PhD. Right. I think the, in- the initials should be after someone's name so that the public and 
the professions can identify who they are and what they are. I think it's misleading to omit that. Sometimes when there's rules, there, there's a lack of enforcement. So there's always that, that gray area. To me, one's designation after their name is more important than the designation before their name. And, and you kind of alluded to that with most medical doctors or John Smith, for example, comma MD or comma DO. Right. And it's, it's the public perception, you know, are we, are we proud of what we are? Well, let's put that after. And I think the distinction between a doctor and a physician could be made as well. That there is a difference. I'm curious then, two questions of, to follow up on that is, why do you think in your profession so many physical therapists are starting to refer to themselves as doctor? Well, we're, we're what they call a doctoring profession. And I think... And I think that's their individual choice. I'm from a time when we, you know, didn't do that. But I, I think that that's okay as long as I'm a doctor of physical therapy as opposed to I'm a doctor. So I think establishing what we're a doctor of is okay. And, you know, it's an individual's choice to, to do that. But, again, they should sort of, I think it should be made clear to the public. So not to put words in your mouth, you can correct me if I'm wrong, you're kind of of the of the feeling that or belief that if somebody has a DPT or a PhD in physical therapy rather than saying Dr. Maury Colbert comma PT comma PhD it should just be Maury Colbert comma PT PhD then somebody looking at it would say okay he's a physical therapist oh he also has a doctor or if you had a doctorate of physical therapy Maury Colbert comma DPT the doctor at the front is kind of redundant. I think it's redundant. You know, I think we are a doctoring profession, so it's perfectly okay to to use that designation, but I think establishing what we're a doctor of is is important. I'm curious. I know I've read on some message boards, people argue, it's like, well, I've done the doctoral work. I should be able to call myself doctor. How do you talk to your students about that? Because you are somebody who sees multiple students and you've been teaching for quite a while so you have a number of students who are now out in the profession right. how do you discuss this topic with them and what's their opinion when they give you feedback i think being humble and not pushing our credentials on people will allow us to gain respect from the people that we deal with on an everyday basis the public and the professionals at large who we encounter will know who we are and what credentials we have um and recognize us based on our skill set and our interactions. I don't believe we have to push necessarily our credentials or the alphabet soup after our name on other people. Rather, let our skills and our, and our successes speak for themselves. We're talking with Dr. Maury Kolber. Maury is a physical therapist, and I just uh, basically did what you don't like to see. I called you Dr. Maury Kolber. I'm doing that because we're at a professional conference and you do have a PhD and you are presenting here. I'm also curious and following up a little bit more for people who may just be familiar with physical therapists and not be aware of the different ways of treating people. I know when I first came out as an athletic trainer and worked in a clinic for a while, the typical process where somebody would come in to begin a treatment protocol is the first thing you would do is maybe if you were lucky, you would put them on an upper body ergometer or a bike if they were able to, to warm up. But much more common, if it was a knee problem, you would put a hot pack on them. And then they would finish their exercise or maybe they wouldn't even do exercise. You do maybe some ultrasound, some electrical stim. 
And I know that's changed dramatically. And I know just from following Facebook groups and reading it, reading them as a lurker, that now there are groups of physical therapists who are saying we shouldn't do any passive treatment. There are groups of physical therapists who say we should only do exercise. Can you kind of talk about those kind of different fields of belief or practice and then kind of tell us where you come from? And I think right. that, that'll lead very well into your specialty of low back pain and your expertise in the McKenzie method. I think given the environment we have now and that we've spoken about earlier, we have limited time with our patients. There's an expectation of paperwork that goes beyond that of what's known to us 15, 20 years ago. So we have to be precise in what we choose for our patients. And how do we help ourselves become precise? Well, we look towards the evidence and we take this evidence-informed approach. The question I always put out there to, to the students is, if you were going to do a 10-mile run, would you want to sit in a jacuzzi for 10 or 15 minutes prior? No, you'd be relaxed. You wouldn't be ready for your run. So my preference is an active warm-up. I'm going to put somebody on a bike, an upper body ergometer, but we're going to do something active because... Number one, we don't want to facilitate this thought process that something passively is going to be the answer to the problem. We want to empower our patients. And the treatments, at least that I do, are things that I know that patient will ultimately be able to carry out on their own at some point. So I don't want to give the impression that that passive treatment is going to necessarily be the, the answer to their problems. Uh, ultrasound is, is a highly, you know, controversial treatment and you know to be honest with you i don't have eight minutes to sit there put doing an ultrasound on somebody so i would rather put them on a bike i would rather have them do something else and then as far as doing having a patient do exercise versus you talked about i believe it was at our first part one of our interview talked about physical therapists do manipulations if i'm using the correct term yes to facilitate movement I know that there are some camps of physical therapists that say we should only do exercise and we shouldn't be putting hands on them for lack of a better term. And other people say, well, we, we should do both and doing the manipulations allows better integration of the exercise. Can you talk about that a little bit? Right. I think when we approach a patient, we try to match the treatments we do with the impairments that we find during our examination. So our, our intervention, our treatment should specifically match our examination. So if our examination finds limited joint mobility at the joint level itself, then manual therapy is indicated to restore that mobility. But we also want to facilitate an active approach. So we try to do a combination of what's going to work best for that patient but it should be tied to a particular outcome measure. So for the spine, we're going to give our patient a combination of active movements, plus we'll do some joint mobilization if we found stiffness during the course of our examination, but there needs to be a match as opposed to proactively determining your treatment before you have even examined the person. I know I am fortunate enough or unfortunate enough to have two herniated discs in my low back, one about 15 years ago, and the other one uh, last August. And I remember when I did my first one, I was told by a number of physical therapists, both friends and also people that I sought out for treatment in the acute phase that, well, you've got a herniated disc. You're always going to have problems with your back. You know, you need to be careful about the things that you do. And I'll admit I was quote unquote young and dumb. And it's kind of like, well, you know, I'm going to show them. And I probably would do, was more active and did things that maybe at that point in time uh, 
medical professionals and physical therapists would say, no, you shouldn't do that. Now, this past August, uh, I had much more severe symptoms. And I knew that even though I was an athletic trainer and an exercise physiologist, like I needed somebody who could look at me objectively and say, do this, do that, don't do this. So I specifically went to physical therapy and I was in a lot of pain and I had a lot of uh, sciatica and really was very, very, probably some of the worst pain of my life. And intellectually, I knew from reading and seeing the change in physical therapy and the change in knowledge, I think that brings into account the evidence base that you referred to a number of times. The first thing the physical therapist said is, look, you got back pain, it's going to get better. You know, your muscles are weak here and there, um, but don't be afraid to move. And that was like night and day between 15 years ago. How has that changed? Because I know your specialty is lo is uh, low backs and back pain. How has your practice as far as treating patients differed from maybe when you first came out of physical therapy school as you've progressed to now in 2018? I think what's changed a lot is the emphasis on getting people better in a shorter period of time, meaning we don't have unlimited time with our patients, or some of our patients may have a $50 copay, whereas 15 years ago, they had a $5 copay. So it's maximizing what we can get in a short period of time. So the first question is, do we move the patient or not move the patient? And generally, the answer is we move the patient. Why? Because movement is what helps us heal. A lot of times, somebody who has chronic symptoms, we're not even treating the initial pathology. We're treating the impairments that have ensued from them not moving. But it's not just about moving them because the next question is, well, what direction do we move them? And is there a movement that we avoid? And that comes from the exam. If we avoid a movement, then the next question is, well, when do we begin doing that movement again? So the whole examination process takes us through that, that approach determining move yes or no, which invariably is often yes, but then which direction do we move them? Oftentimes there's a direction that will make a patient worse and a direction that will make them better. And to be specific with your specialty of, of backs, you're talking movements as far as worse and better, mainly, am I correct, flexion and extension? Flexion and extension, or do we move them in a combined direction? So some rotation then? Sometimes some rotation of the spine, sometimes some lateral flexion. And a good subset of people will have a directional preference. And if they don't, then we determine what movements are going to be safe. And again, what movements do not worsen that patient. And then slowly over time, we try to expand on the degree of movements, how far into end range they move and what other things we can do during the, the same time. If you had a cut on the back of your knuckle that was going straight across, you know that every time you bend that finger, that cut's going to open. So for a period of time, you're going to keep your finger straighter, let that cut heal, and then slowly start to bend your finger again. I know we've talked a little bit in both parts of the interview about how medicine has changed and how the paperwork and the number of patients that you see as a physical therapist has increased. I know probably when you started, you referred to $5 co-payments. You could literally see somebody with an injury. You could see them for six months and they'd be out maybe 150 bucks. Right. So you could treat them from the very acute stage to doing very, very high level return to activity, even at a high level as a physical therapist. How does that differ from today where you get somebody who comes in with an injury when they're done with physical therapy, either because the insurance company says, we're not paying for any more sessions or the person says, man, this is costing me 50 bucks every time I come. I can't afford to come anymore. Is there a decreased ability for the person to be ready to return to performance after finishing physical therapy and they need to do something beyond that? 
I think what's changed is, number one, the demand for our initial examination to be more precise. We have to figure out the problem quickly. Many patients will come once a week or once every two weeks, and the onus is on us to give them the appropriate program, anticipate when they need to come back, and then progress them appropriately each time. We now rely more on patient adherence than we ever have before, because if we don't see that patient for a week or two and they're not doing what we've asked, it limits our ability to progress that person. But oftentimes patients are discharged early. Now we don't discharge a patient, we provide them with options, but patients will elect to be discharged long prior to having complete recovery. And by patient compliance, what you mean is in order for many injuries to recover completely, the patient is going to have to take some ownership of their treatment. In other words, the physical therapist is going to say, here are some exercises you need to do on your own. And what the patient needs to do on their own is probably just as, if not more important than what we do for them when they come back. Out of curiosity, in your experience, what percentage of the patients that you see actually adhere to the exercises that you tell them? Well, it's, did they, are they telling me they're adhering to it or are they actually adhering to it? You know, it depends on how you, how you practice. The, the type of examination that we do, we sort of know ahead of time whether they're going to benefit from an exercise or not because part of our examination is to take that patient through repeated movements and sustained positions to see where they are better and where they are worse, essentially. So we know what's going to help them, and it's really on them to carry that out. Um, it's not uncommon to have someone say, hey, I went away, I traveled, I didn't do any of the exercises, and not be better. And you sort of have to recoup and, and emphasize. I like to think that if we educate our patients and we involve them in what they're doing, that we're more likely to get better better adherence to, to what we recommend. But there's a subset that, that won't do what you ask them to do, or at least not to the level that you need. We're talking with Maury Kolber. He is a physical therapist. He teaches and he is a clinician. I think I want to finish up talking a little bit about your area of expertise. You are a back expert, as you said, in our first part of the interview, and you specialize in something called the McKenzie technique. So I think one of the things that the take-home message from these interviews are, if you go to see a medical doctor and you have an eye problem, you see an eye specialist. If you have a movement problem and either a physician refers you or you're in a state where you can have direct access as a physical therapist, you want to pick a physical therapist who is an expert at what you do, not a generalist. So in Maury's case, he would see individuals with back problems. What is the McKenzie technique and why would you decide to use that versus other types of exercise? Right. Well, the McKenzie method is, what's interesting about it is it's not limited to physical therapists. So there are credentialed uh, chiropractic physicians, there are credentialed medical doctors, so it's, it's not just limited to physical therapy. What I like about the McKenzie method and what attracted to me was that it was straightforward. It focused on patient empowerment and the idea of a progression of forces, meaning teach the patient how to help themselves. And if carried out properly, we do a, a very detailed movement analysis. We can, in most cases, figure out exactly how to teach the patient to treat themselves and then follow up with them with progressions to that if needed and advancements. But it it's an approach that truly empowers people to take control and to move. So it's kind of rather than coming to you and saying, my back hurts, fix me. They come to you and say, my back hurts, fix me. And you're able to say, this is what's wrong. 
here's what I can do to help you, but here are some additional specific exercises to do when you have episodes of back pain. Exactly. It's teaching people the right things to do to help themselves. And oftentimes we can treat people in a very shorter number of visits because we've empowered them. We've gotten them to move early. There's no component where we really say don't do anything. We try to find movements that best work for them and empower them to do it on their own. I guess the follow-up question for that is if this is such a great thing and it sounds like it is, why doesn't everybody do that for back pain? Why don't all physical therapists do that? Well, I think sometimes as physical therapists, we, we want to have a value in our hands, you know, in what we feel, uh, what we see. And sometimes we're perhaps looking for something that's a little bit more detailed and complicated than it needs to be. Um, I guess from a business perspective, the McKenzie approach may not be that great. Because people get better. <laughs> they get better faster, and they know how to treat themselves. But at the end of the day, that's, isn't that what we're supposed to be doing? That's the example of movement as part of what makes your life complete of moving to live. We've had the good fortune to talk to Maury Kolber, who is a physical therapist. I wanted to have him on because in addition to being an academician who teaches physical therapy, he also is a clinician, so he not only walks the walk, but he talks the talk. Maury, thanks for taking a few minutes to talk to Moving to Live. Ben, it was my pleasure. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the latest episode of Moving to Live. Make sure you check out the show notes for contact information for our latest guest, as well as links about all the things we talked about. Intro and exit music is Traveling Light by Jason Shaw. You can subscribe to Moving to Live on Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, and Google Play, and be notified about new episode releases. Have any questions, comments, or suggestions? Drop us an email, mov2liv at gmail.com. Connect with us on Twitter or Instagram, both underscore mov2liv. Please tell your friends about Moving to Live. It's a go-to place for information for movement and exercise professionals and amateur aficionados who understand that movement is part of what makes your life complete. Until next week, keep on moving.